welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here into these spaces. And truly, would you give us your spirit of illumination that we would understand your word. We confess along with Jesus of Nazareth himself, thy word is truth. Father, we need truth in our lives. And would we be molded by your truth and by your love and by your grace. Thank you that... Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can come freely. Lord, would we know the unburdening of Jesus even now? Do a good work in us, we pray. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen. You can be seated. One of the things, my, wife is, my wife's name is Emily. One of the things that I and Emily both noticed when we began to date soon after, just really just one or two dates and moving on, I recognized, and I think she did too, that dating Emily was different, from my perspective, from other relationships that I had had so far. And the difference was this. In all of my other relationships, the dates and how I acted to the other person was very performative. And after every phone call, after every conversation, after every date, I would just go through the diagnostic questions. Was it fun enough? Was I good enough? Was I smart enough? Was I clever enough? Was I funny enough? Did I tell too many jokes? Did I tell not enough jokes? Was there the right balance of serious and fun? Was I romantic enough? Was I soulful enough? After every interaction I had in those other relationships, and I'll grant to you that my inborn tendency is to answer yes to to those questions, but I would still ask them anyway for angers, When it comes to confidence issues, we take the over. And just as a sidebar, every once in a while, any of my kids will say something like, Dad, I've been thinking, even though I've had no formal training at all with X, I actually think that I would do an awesome job with that. And those are the moments when I get an eye roll from Emily and say, yes, these are my children right now uh, with their confidence issues. But still, despite all of that, the one thing that would shape my confidence like nothing else would be those dates and those relationships. Am I measuring up? But it didn't take long in starting to go out with Emily where, say, after a couple of dates, I realized... I'm not asking those diagnostic questions anymore. I'm not racking my brain and my heart 
Have I been good enough, funny enough, smart enough during this date? I can just be me. And I compared notes with Emily about this, and she said, yeah, it feels the same way for me as well. It's just us. Authentically, transparently, this is who I am. And sometimes, occasionally, those points of recognition came to us with grateful tears. It was liberating and life-giving for us to recognize that, and we felt whole with each other. But then there's also a problem. Do you want to know what the problem is when you're in a relationship with this guy, with me? The issue is that you're in a relationship with me. And realistically, that means the more authentic and vulnerable I am, the more I expose the other to my selfishness, to my pettiness, to my meanness. And in any relationship, in my darker moments, sometimes I can feel stuck and say, I have no good options. Either I conceal who I am and try to hide it, or I let it out and it wounds. And tears have happened in relationships in that direction as well. That's the problem. And whether it's me relating to another person, us relating to others, that's a proxy or a representative of how relating to God can be very complicated. God, this is who I am but we're not all that, are we? It's an issue. One of my favorite theologians is an old Dutch theologian named Herman Bovink. He wrote and lived, give or take, about 100 years ago. And one of the things that I love about Herman Bovink is that he's deeply versed in the whole historical theological tradition of the church, but then also was very well-read about what was going on in contemporary culture around the world. And if I said he started to write maybe 100 years ago, there was this new discipline called anthropology, and Herman Bovink was able to read lots of stuff by the first generation of anthropologists who went out and studied cultures around the world. And this is an observation that Herman Bovink made. Around the world, in ancient and traditional cultures coming up to the present day, whether east or west or north or south, everybody's offering sacrifices to the divine, to the god, or to gods. Why are they doing that? And Bobbing put it this way. This is one of the quotes in our reflection quotes section of the worship folder. Remarkable, Bobbing wrote, is the universal, profound, and powerful urge that at all times and places drives people to offer sacrifices to God. That urge arises from the ineradicable sense that human beings are related in some fashion to an invisible divine power, whether reconciled or unreconciled. And for me, standing here in 2021 in the West, I can wonder to myself, is that still true of us here? Do we as human beings living in this late, modern, Western moment, do we really feel like we have this relationship to the, to the divine anymore? Or do we think to ourselves, and maybe this is where you are, or maybe you struggle with this thought, We've just outgrown this idea of God altogether. We don't need this anymore. Let's just move on. But I would say, have we outgrown that impulse of relating to the divine and maybe offering sacrifices? Or have we just dulled ourselves to that relationship? Have we dulled ourselves? And let's face it, isn't it the case across the board that whether romantic relationships or otherwise, we're not awesome with relationships? Whether it's family relationships, friends, coworkers, relating to other people is hard. 
and we mess it up, and people mess it up against us. Isn't it hubris for us to turn around and whatever we think about God and say, well, at least I can be assured that I'm awesome in this direction, right? Maybe we have some problems there too. And that's what Paul explores in the passage that I just read a couple moments ago from Colossians chapter 1. And it's a good question whether in Paul's time or Hervin Bavinck's time or our time, when we think about relating to God, are we reconciled? Or are we unreconciled? It can only be one of those two things. And so here is the Apostle Paul, and we are doing a grab bag of sermons from the Apostle Paul, different texts, different letters this summer. Some have called it Paul Puri, a grab bag of sermons from Paul. Paul is writing to new Christians in a new church, exploring their identity together. And commentators who have studied this passage will say the main frisson of the passage, the the main thing going on structurally is that there is this contrast. Paul says in verse 21, once, and then it's even more clear in Paul's original language, verse 22, but now. Once you were this, but now you're this, exploring identity together in Jesus. And that's going to be our jumping off point for the rest of the sermon. Let us feel the weight of the contrast in Jesus between the once and the but now. And if we feel the weight of these things and the spirits at work in our lives, we can leave this morning feeling more whole before God. So three parts from here. Let's talk first, verse 21, the but Sorry, the once, and then verse 22, the but now, and then third, verse 23, the if indeed. So those three parts, easy peasy, we have got this for the rest of the sermon. And you could say about verse 21 that this is an encapsulation, a microcosm, a miniature. Paul is giving the whole history, the story of the human race, a narrative, many, outside of God and apart from him. Again, verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. There we have it. Unpleasant about humanity, maybe. But can we also say at the same time that it's untrue? Let's think about that. Paul talking to the church outside of Jesus, before they came to faith, alienated. Is that really that far off about how we think and feel and relate and live and breathe a lot of the time? East, west, north, or south, we live with and take for granted sometimes an amorphous, dull feeling, sometimes sharp. We are alienated people. I like to read books, and there's plenty of fiction that talk about how we can be alienated in these ways. One of them, Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending, one of my favorite books probably of the past 10 years. Not going to tell you how it goes. But it doesn't go great. That's why it's literature. That's why it's really good. And the main character ends the book this way. There is accumulation. There is responsibility. And beyond these, there is unrest. There is great unrest. Hey, how you doing? Well, if we're honest, we might say there is unrest. There is great unrest. Another author that I like, James Salter, who died a couple of years ago, and one of his characters, he put it this way about this character. He was filled with secrets, deceptions that made him whole. We can be so filled with secrets and deceptions that it feels like us more than anything else. And there is a counterfeit wholeness that we can achieve and construct when we are building up this facade and saying, well, it looks great on the outside, 
and this is just me. Isn't it the case too often that I, that we can think about ourselves and say, there is no I, there is no we, apart from these deceptions, apart from these lies, apart from the subterfuge, apart from this facade, this is me. And that alienation is one of the ingredients that the Bible tells us about why we're, to use a theological term, totally depraved. We're really messed up. And don't get me wrong. The Bible says some of the most cynical, dire things, if you want to put it that way, about human nature were really messed up. And the Bible says one of the, some of the most optimistic and, and aspirational stuff about human nature. God has made us a little lower than the angels, and that's why we're in this mess, created in the image of God. Everybody, no exception. We have this nobility and this goodness and this beauty on one hand that's marred on the other hand by our alienation. And one of the ways that we can think about our fall in which we fell on our first parents, Adam and Eve, how we're messed up, as alienation at so many different levels, naturally, socially, psychologically, we are alienated. Naturally, from nature, there is alienation. Who knows what the next set of ecological catastrophes are going to come our way. Our world, our nature is out of joint. Alienation, socially, between people and people groups. We wouldn't have had a national reckoning, for example, about race in our country last year and ongoing if things were already awesome between people groups. They are not, and there's work to do. Alienation, psychologically. We're not right on the inside as well. And no surprise then, alienation also occurs religiously as we relate to God. That's why Bavink, for example, says we make all of these sacrifices because we think there's something wrong with us. We must get back on the good side of the divine. Hostile in mind, Paul goes on to say in verse 21. Not so fast, Paul. You're kind of getting in my business right now, reading my mail a little bit. I'm not hostile in mind. Paul would come back and say, au contraire. Just do a mental rewind of this week. Was there any hostility in mind in your mind, this week, towards anybody or anything. Doesn't it happen within our homes, spouse to spouse, parent to child, child to parent, coworker to coworker, and on down the line, we live often in hostility of mind towards one another, and yes, towards God. And then also doing evil deeds. Doing evil deeds, Paul goes on to say in verse 21. Isn't that us? It's not only in the headlines, but we can find them there. But it's in our region, it's in our homes, and it's in our hearts. This is who we are. And a point of wrestling for modern people is we can wonder, is there a bill to pay for all of this mess or not? The church says, yes. There is a bill that must be paid for human beings like me that are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds before a holy God, like it or not, there's guilt. What do we do with that? And a point of wrestling again. And I understand if you're sitting here in the room or watching online thinking like, this is just way too harsh about who we are as people. I get it. And I sometimes shy away from the truth of what the Bible says here too. I, I get it. I understand. 
But then I would flip it around and say, well, what really is the exaggeration? And isn't it the case that we will spend so much money and time and effort and energy listening to podcasts, looking at blogs, going to see this doctor or this doctor, as we should, to make ourselves whole again? Isn't it self-evident that we spend so much time, effort, and energy on making ourselves whole precisely because we are not? And so to me, here's another author, Ann Patchett. I don't know if anybody has read an Ann Patchett book here or there. It, it's an author that's making, making her way through the Anger family. So Emily and I read Ann Patchett a few years ago, and now my two high schoolers are reading Ann Patchett. A lot of fun with Ann Patchett. I, I, I read an article by her once. Really liked the article, but we're in Olympics again, right? Anybody watching Olympics right now? Ratings are down, uh, but whoever said woo, good for you. I'm tuning in as well. So with the Olympics sticking the landing, right? Do you ever see like uh, gymnastics where the landing is not stuck or you're reading something or watching something, good, 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 until the very end. And it's like, man, that just did not come together. There was this article by Ann Patchett where it was like, good, 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 good. But I, I caught myself on this last line. This is how we change the world. We grab hold of it. We change ourselves. On the surface, maybe that's fine. This is how we change the world. We grab hold of it. We change ourselves. But I come back and say, it's just not that easy. And if unaided by anything beyond ourselves, we could already change ourselves, wouldn't we have done it by now? But we need help. And so to me, the exaggeration is not the dire things that the Bible says about fallen human nature. The exaggeration is a false optimism that we've got all of this apart from hell. And outside of Jesus, that's who we once were. But we're not left there. There's also a but now, as Paul continues in verse 22. But now he is reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of what Jesus has done in his crucifixion and resurrection, there is reconciliation. And this is the way where we are able to now look up to God and say, authentically, transparently, this is who I am. But without shame and without guilt, because Jesus has paid those things for us already. In his body of flesh, it says here in verse 22, earlier in Colossians, and I preached on the passage right before this in Colossians, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. You can go back and listen to that sermon. If you're in the mood for a twofer from the past couple of weeks at Liberty Collingswood, Paul says there that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. God shows up in the world that he made. The author has written himself into the story. And for Jesus, as Messiah, as Christ, as the anointed one, Jesus looks at humanity and relates to us, sees us, knows us, loves us, represents us before God the Father and through his crucifixion and resurrection says to the Father, let me, let me pay the bill. 
Let me take care of this debt. Let me bring back my children. And that's what we can know as we come to Jesus by faith. So it's a reconciliation, not just individually, not just of God's church, but it's a cosmic reconciliation as well. It is simply not the case that our spinning rock that we call earth is one day just going to get way too hot or way too cold and then die. There will be a cosmic reconciliation and a cosmic renewal of all things It's going to be awesome with this new heavens and new earth for all time, forever, where what we are facing today, and you may be facing some really, really hard things, and I don't mean to minimize them in any way, but compared to the the eternity before us, as we've already sung, we have no less days to sing God's praise. This is a split second. We'll remember, but it will be far in the rear view mirror. And what do you know? God loves human beings enough that the crown jewel of all of this cosmic recreation, it's not going to be the stars, it's not going to be the sand, it's not going to be the mountains, but it's going to be you and me. The crown jewel of that new creation. The Apostle Paul in a different place puts it this way. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the, cro- of the, for the, revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And it's a sad mystery to myself why I don't get more excited about Jesus than I often do. Why do I do that? If you're a follower of Jesus, why don't you get more excited about what Jesus has done for you? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for being here this morning. Hear about, this is really, really, really good news. And when I'm in those phases, when I'm in those moments, I'll tell myself things like, well, I don't want to settle for other stories. They're not as good. Other stories are not as good. I don't want to settle for no story. I I want to face up to the fact that very often, and I'm born this way, alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. That's who I am apart from Jesus. But now, by faith in what Jesus has done, we can know his reconciliation to be completely forgiven. We see the goal here in verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In the original language, that all starts with the same letter. Paul has a nice little alliteration going there with alpha, with an A. Holy and blameless and without reproach before this God, we can be whole again. Holy, our triune God is completely holy and completely other. And that means that on our last day in Jesus, we also will be wholly good and wholly whole and blameless and above reproach, the result of which both now and into eternity will be able to say, God, this is who I am. This is who I am. But thank you for your great love and your great grace. And the good news of Jesus is that we don't need to offer any more sacrifices ever again because Jesus has paid that bill. If indeed we continue. So that's verse 21, the once, verse 22, the but now, and then verse 23, the if indeed. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's a positive call to the church. Live this out. Embody this. 
Take it seriously. Make it your story. And practically speaking, is there something that you can do this week, follower of Jesus, to live out this if indeed? If indeed you claim the name of Jesus as Lord, therefore I am going to do this differently in my life this week, today, now. If indeed I continue. Press ahead. Live into with your body of flesh this call of Jesus in your life, not wavering from the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, Paul says, from the hope of the gospel. And there is a truth component to this. Past couple of weeks or the past month or so, Derek and Jesse were preaching in different ways about false teaching or not changing or not shifting. Those are good words for us. And as I continue to listen to podcasts and read blogs about the church in the West and the church in America, it does sound like there's a sorting going on right now in a couple of different ways. One sorting, some folks during pandemic uh, that got used to rhythms apart from the church have said, I'm going to stay there. And Jesus and church, they're just not big parts of my life anymore. I'm going to take this as my point to disengage. That, That is happening in the church in this country. But there's a sorting in another way as well. And Eric was talking about this a little bit last week in terms of polarizations too, where there is more pressure upon followers of Jesus to say, I am only going to be at a church that's only right or only left. That's a polarization and a push. I've got to go in one of these two directions. And I'm thinking through missionally when people that don't yet follow Jesus, uh, they want a church by and large. It's only right or only left. What what do we do? Well, we take the Bible seriously and let the chips fall where they may around these things and understand that as I read church history, whenever there is a church that is only all one way or all the other way, Culturally speaking, those are co-opted churches that are preaching co-opted Jesuses. And throughout the history of the confessing church in this world, there's a little bit of right and a little bit of left as we try to seek to interpret the scriptures well, and that's okay. And as churches are pulling right and to the left, So stereotypically, churches on the right leaning into Christian nationalism or churches on the left just ambulance chasing whatever the progressive cause du jour is. It's okay to feel those tensions in the middle. It's okay with your own either secular left or secular right friends to say, actually, I feel the Bible pulling me back a little bit in this way. You can have a couple of those record scratch moments with family and friends, and if they truly love you and appreciate and respect you, They're going to say, that's fine. I love you anyway. We don't have to be so polarized as we lean into what God has even for us here at Liberty Collingswood. And more practically again, own up. Own up to the fact that we once were alienated, hostile in mind, committing evil deeds. Joanna, as she always does, did a great job introducing our call to confession, where we are given an invitation by God to be free of what destroys us anyway. And to piggyback on that just for a second, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, and we come to that confession of sin, that silent part, you're actually supposed to confess stuff. I hope we say that every week. Joanna said it this morning. Our liturgists say that. And if you're sitting there thinking, I have nothing to confess this week, I am a blank, then you need to try a little bit harder to really think about who you are before God. I need to try a little bit harder. I have those weeks too. 
We need to exercise. And so often, including for myself, I can be in a situation where I'll say, yeah, Jesus is not really alive to me right now, but I'm not really doing anything about it, and I'm not trying. Why is that a surprise? It's like somebody saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm horribly out of shape. I really do need to get in shape. Well, are you exercising and watching your diet? No. Well, okay then. It's like, know some starting points and actually take it seriously. That's what Jesus calls us as we own who we are apart from Jesus and lean into and live into who Jesus is for us, which is our call, and this is where we'll wrap up, to seek to be faithful and fruitful in this moment now. Another 20th century church leader that I quote a good bit, Leslie Newbegin, spent 20 years as, he, he was an Anglican bishop, Church of England, went to India as a missionary for 20 years, left in the 1950s, England came back in the 1970s. It was the same country, but very different between the 1950s and 1970s. And the second half of his life was a writing career talking about the church and all of these missionary encounters, whether in the East or in the West. And he says, the church still has a glorious call. To be in Christ means to be incorporated into his mission to the world, to be the bearer of God's saving purpose for this whole world, to be the sign and agent and the first fruit of his blessed kingdom, which is for all. So by our mission, as we would seek to live, speak, and serve as Jesus' very presence here, by our core values of worship, community, and mercy, by the way that we love one another within the church and love others outside of the church, by the way we live in joy in Jesus as a sign that all of this is real, we are called, if indeed we continue. Jesus demands nothing less from us, and Jesus has given us everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.